Awesome. How are we all doing this morning? Doing good? Kind of, yeah. Getting ready to enjoy the nice weather we've been experiencing here. And we're in week two of this series of God at the Movies. And how many of you guys like Tom Hanks as an actor? Did you, did you know that he's the number one box office draw of all time? His films have combined to take in like 10 billion worldwide. Kind of amazing. So we're going to look at a film of his today. And it's um, called Sully, the real life story of the miracle on the Hudson. Just kind of a, a middle-of-the-road movie for him as far as box office success. $125 million in the States, another $115 million overseas. Um, but it tells us the story of this pilot named, named Chesley Sullinger, a.k.a. Sully. And, and he's, uh, he's taken off from LaGuardia Airport. There's 155 passengers on board of this U.S. Airways Flight 1549. And we're going to start off with a clip and see how they, they begin to take off here. View of the Hudson. I'll never get over how beautiful it is up here. Life's easier in the air. Yes, it is. Birds. Whoa. be a good idea just to keep your seatbelts on. You got one rolling back. You got both of them rolling back. Ignition start. Seatbelts, can I make sure you relax? Relax. Okay. Make sure your seatbelts are fastened. Seatbelts? What do you think that was? I think it was a bird strike. And we're going back to LaGuardia. Yeah. Get out the QRH. Loss of thrust on both engines. Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. This is Cactus 1549. We hit birds. Maintain 1-5000 Delta 331. We've lost thrust on both engines. We are turning back towards LaGuardia. Okay, you need to return to LaGuardia. Turn left heading 220. 220. Which engine did you lose? Both. Both engines. Soup? Yep. I have an emergency. What's the report? Both engines. What? Both engines gone. No thrust. All right. LaGuardia says go to runway 13. Tower, stop your departure. Got an emergency returning. 1549, bird strike. You lost both engines. Returning immediately. 
he lost thrust in both engines, he said. Cactus 1549, if we can get it for you, do you want to try to land runway 13? We are unable. We may end up at the Hudson. That would have been a little frightening, wouldn't it have been on that plane? And, you know, I, I thought about Tom Hanks' body of work this past week and the movie Castaway, right? He's on a FedEx plane that goes down in the ocean and he's stranded on a deserted island. He's had a movie Captain Phillips where, he, where he's the captain of a ship and it was taken over by pirates. Then Apollo 13, I think that's my favorite movie. He's going, you know, heading to the moon. Something goes drastically wrong. They're not sure they're going to make it back to Earth without burning up in the atmosphere. So if we get nothing else from today's, from today's service here, uh, I would be careful about traveling with Tom Hanks, right? He's kind of got, so. But anyway, they make the decision that there's, there's no way to go back to LaGuardia, that they're going to have to land in the Hudson River. So let's pick up the movie from there. I don't think we can make any runway. Uh, what about over to our right? Anything in New Jersey? Maybe Teterboro? Okay, yeah. Off your right side is Teterboro Airport. LaGuardia departure. Got emergency inbound. This is Teterboro Tower. Go ahead. Uh, Cactus 1549 of the GW Bridge. Needs to go to the airport right now. Cactus, do you need assistance? Yes, bird strike. Can I get him in for runway one? Relight after 30 seconds in your master one and two. Confirm off. Off. Wait 30 seconds. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. Too low terrain. This is the captain. Brace for impact. 500. Teterboro. We can't make it. Okay, which runway would you like at Teterboro? Go ahead, try number one. Number one. No relight. We're gonna end up in the Hudson. Too low, terrain. I'm sorry, say again, Cactus? Too low, terrain. Too low, terrain. Put the flaps out. Flaps out. Cactus 1549 radar contact lost. Uh, you also got Newark off here at 2 o'clock at about 7 miles. Got flaps out. 250 feet in the air. 170 knots. Got no power, need to one. Try the other one. Try the other one. 449. Still out? 150 knots. Got flaps to you. One more? No, let's do it. You got runway 29 available at Newark. It'll be 2 o'clock at 7 miles. You got any ideas? Actually, no.
right? What, what, what relief you could imagine then, but the rescue still wasn't over, right? The plane, they had to, they had to disembark 155 people. The temperature outside that day was 20 degrees. It was a January day. The water temperature was 36, so they had to get people evacuated before the plane sank or, or before people just died of, of hypothermia. And they did their jobs well. And the Coast Guard came and Sully remained calm and, and all 155 miraculously survived that crash on the Hudson River, thus calling it the miracle on the Hudson. And instantly now Sully was a hero. Right? He did the talk show circuit. Um, uh, in an instant, he became famous. I mean, 155 people he had saved. And from what I've seen, he was amazingly humble. He gave credit to the passengers, to his flight crew, to the first responders that day. Um, but the NTSB, they, they, they did an investigation like they do in all situations like that. And they entered the data from the flight and, and uh, they put it into their, ran it through their algorithms and they brought in test pilots to sit in simulators under the exact same conditions. And they made an, a determination that Sully had made a mistake, that he had unduly put the lives of those people in danger by landing in the Hudson River. They determined that he could have actually gone back to the runway, turned around, gone back to the runway at LaGuardia or to another nearby airport and would have safely landed the plane. So we're going to pick up the story now at this NTSB hearing. So let's watch this. Too low, terrain. 50, 40, 30, 20. Successful landing in Teterboro, runway 19. Multiple airports, runways, two successful landings. We are simply mimicking what the computer already told us. You know, a lot of toes were stepped on in order to set this up for today. And, and frankly, I'm, I really don't know what you gentlemen plan to gain by it. Can we get serious now? Captain? We've all heard about the computer simulations, and now we are watching actual sims, but I can't quite believe you still have not taken into account the human factor. Human piloted simulations show that you could make it back to the airport. No, they don't. These pilots were not behaving like human beings, like people who are experiencing this for the first time. Well, they may not be reacting like you did. Immediately after the bird strike, they are turning back for the airport, just as in the computer sims, correct? That is correct. They obviously knew the turn and exactly what heading to fly. They did not run a check. They did not switch on the APU. They had all the same parameters that you faced. No one warned us. No one said you are going to lose both engines at a lower altitude than any jet in history. But be cool. Just make a left turn for LaGuardia like you're going back to pick up the milk. This was dual engine loss at 2,800 feet, followed by an immediate water landing with 155 souls on board. No one has ever trained for an incident like that. No one. In the Teterboro landing, with its unrealistic bank angle, we were not the Thunderbirds up there. I'd like to know how many times the pilot practiced that maneuver before he actually pulled it off. I'm not questioning the pilots. They're good pilots. But they've clearly been instructed to head for the airport immediately after the bird strike. You've allowed no time for analysis or decision-making. In these simulations, you take in all of the humanity out of the cockpit. How much time did the pilots spend planning for this event, for these simulations? 
you are looking for human error. Then make it human. This wasn't a video game. It was life and death. Sully's right, that's worth a few seconds. Please ask how many practice runs they had. Okay. <clears throat> 17. Seventeen. The pilot who landed at Teterboro had seventeen practice attempts before the simulation we just witnessed. The reaction decision time will be set at 35 seconds. 35 seconds, not enough time. We only had 208 seconds total, so I'll take it. All right, so you could go, they redo the simulation and, and the plane crashes. This is going back to LaGuardia. So Sully was, was let off. They knew that he had actually um, made the right decision. So a movie that I watched just a couple weeks ago, I didn't, I'd encourage you to watch a good movie. But, but we love good stories, don't we? I mean, we love, we love heroes, Spider-Man, Iron Man, Batman, Mighty Mouse, Hong Kong Fooey, for those who are a little older, right? But mysterious people that come out of nowhere, we don't know how they receive their powers, but they do fascinating things. Well, this was a real-life miracle. 155 people saved. Sully was a hero. But I don't think he was really a hero in the sense that we think of with Spider-Man and, and those kind of people. So I love that line where he said, can we get serious now? So I want us to get serious now. I really don't think this was a miracle, what we just witnessed. I don't think it was a miracle at all. I think it was the natural response of a pilot who had been flying for nearly 40 years. See, Sully had gone through great training, right? He had studied the flight manuals. He had been in flight simulators. He had, he had captained several, you know, several different flights, taken off and, and landed and you know, all just you know, hundreds of times. He had trained and prepared. I think this was an amazing event with super high stakes, but I think it was the natural response of a seasoned veteran pilot. In other words... If you would have had someone who was just in flight school or if you had had someone who maybe this was their first commercial flight and they were all of a sudden faced with that same situation, I don't think we would have called it the miracle on the Hudson. I think we would have called it the disaster of flight 1549. But see, Sully, Sullinger, he knew what to do. He hadn't just messed around in the cockpit a few times. He hadn't just gone through the basics. He knew them, uh, um, you know, backwards and forwards, but he had been in situations that had prepared him for that. As a matter of fact, we're told in the movie that if he had just followed the rules, step one, two, and three, that more than likely the plane would have crashed and we wouldn't have had the same outcome. So this was not a man that just knew the basics. He intuitively knew what to do when the geese knocked out the engines. And maybe you're here today and you're new to this Christianity stuff or maybe you're just exploring it. And I want you to understand that I think sometimes as Christians, or maybe when we're new to this, we think that Christianity is just about learning some of the basics. Right? We, 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 there are certain songs that we're not supposed to listen to, certain forms of entertainment we're supposed to avoid. Um, we say certain things. We, we, we read the Bible a little bit. Right? We go through the Old Testament, and there's some strange stories that, that we're told to believe. And then we get to the New Testament, and we know that that's where we're supposed to hang out most of the time. And, and then we learn some rules on how to treat people. And we get the basics down. And those are good. But that is not the goal of Christianity. That's not the goal of following Jesus, just to get a few simple rules down. See, God wants you to be the kind of person that, 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 that you've walked with him for so long, 
through prayer, through reading the Bible, through hanging with Christians, through serving, through being gener- you know, generous, that, that you've sat in the flight simulator of faith for so long that you just, you just become the kind of person that does the right thing during the gray areas of life. See, that you have a peace and a joy and, and you have kindness and, and gentleness and love that's grown in you that despite the conditions that you face, despite what you might be going through, there's just something in you that's different. See, God wants you to have deep roots. God wants to work in you and to cultivate some things in you. When people are freaking out around you and the world seems to be falling apart, God wants you to be solid and just be the kind of person that responds the way that he would want you to. See, Jesus lived in a time where people, they knew the rules. I mean, they knew the Ten Commandments, and that was just kind of a, a, a guide, a table of contents for hundreds of other rules that they would have known. Good religious people, they would have memorized the scriptures, especially the first five books of what we have as the Bible, the Torah. They would have had that foundation. See, in the days of Jesus, that's kind of how you got your pilot's license. But then he comes onto the scene, and he starts to say some things that, that really were troubling to a lot of people. He kind of comes and, and critiques the law. And he says, I'm not, I'm not coming just to, to tweak what you've been accustomed to. He says, I'm going to blow things up. I'm going to make this brand new. He says, the old has served its purpose. It's pointed to me. It's shown that there is a better way to live, but it's also pointed out the fact that, that you can't do it. He says, it is, all, it is all pointed towards me. Now the kingdom of God is at hand in me, in my personhood. And see, they're troubled because for hundreds of years, they had known nothing else. But Jesus knew that the rules are going to fail, right? When you're in a gray situation, when, when nothing seems right, Jesus came to give us so much something, so much greater and better than just step one, two, or three. See, he's blowing up the system, not just updating the playbook, not interested necessarily in just giving us a better morality, Jesus is interested in each one of us becoming a totally different person, new altogether. See, Jesus is not just in the business of better, but of making things new. It's not about upgrades, not about modifications. See, we can get that from religion and self-help books, step one, two, and three, seven ways to do this, three rules. And I think, and I think those things can help, and maybe you become a little bit more of a, of a moral person. You might make a little headway there, but I think Jesus would say, that is not my primary concern. Jesus says, I have something so much better for you than that. I want to transform you. I want to make you into a completely new person. And that is good news because I think we all know that we have some flaws, some, some areas in our life where we've tried hard, but, but we need to be made new. And the scriptures have said it in different ways from the very beginning. There were prophets that wrote hundreds of years before Jesus, and they'd speak to the nation of Israel, and, and they would be speaking into a specific situation, but they would also be pointing to another day, a day when Jesus was going to come onto the scene. And this is what Ezekiel wrote. He was writing about God and, and basically writing for God and says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Again, he's pointing to the time when Jesus comes onto the scene. So it's not just going to be an improved you, it's going to be a brand new you. John 3, 3, these are the words of Jesus. And he says, very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again, totally remade, rebirth. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. This is the Apostle Paul a few years after Jesus is, is, is ascended back to heaven. And he's looking back and he says, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. See, again, Jesus isn't just trying to upgrade your morality. That is not what Christianity is all about. He is inviting you into a brand new reality. But if the old system, and especially thinking back in his day, if, if the old system is gone, if, that, if that's what you know, they had gone with for hundreds of years, and it, and it made sense. I mean, we worship this way. We act this way. We eat these foods. We avoid these things. People can grasp that. But if that's gone, then, then what's replacing it? What is, what, is, what is Jesus bringing? And fortunately, we're not left in the dark. In the Gospel of John, um, we're told that, that Jesus, it's the last night that he's with his friends and is before he's to be crucified. And, and, and we're told that his, his friend Judas goes and betrays him. And, and so we're said, that, said that, that Jesus is troubled in spirit. And for us, we might, we might blow over that, but I think this, the whole weight of everything is coming down on Jesus. He realized that now the time is at hand. So he's got these, these last few minutes, basically, these last few hours with his followers. And he's sitting with his friends, and you can imagine that the words that he's going to say are, are to reemphasize what he's been teaching them for three years, but these are very important, right? And he says, so this new system that I'm bringing to you, I want you to understand what this is all about. And I think he gives us a huge clue what this is all about in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. He says, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And again, I could picture his hearers, his, his disciples saying, wait a minute. You know, for hundreds of years, this idea of being made clean has been about the temple, about the high priest, about the sacrificial system, about what I do. And now you're saying that we are made clean because of what you have spoken to us about, about this, this new system. And Jesus says, yep, that's right. Not about what you do. You're not going to clean it cleaned up this way. It's about, it's about this vine branch relationship. God has offered you a relationship with him. So again, they say, not about, about what I'm doing, about achieving more, about getting, getting better. Jesus says, nope. And he goes on in verse 4, he says this, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, he says, try as you might. He says, you may make a little headway, but ultimately, if I'm not involved, if you're not connected with, with me, then it's going to amount to nothing. So Jesus, what do we do? And he says, remain in me. Abide with me. Stay with me. Hang out with me in layman's terms. But remain in me. And they say, rules that I'm supposed to follow, what steps do I take? I mean, these are the things that kind of have defined us. And Jesus says, nope, you want to bear fruit, you remain in me. And for those people, it might, it might not made a lot of sense. And I think for a lot of us today, this is kind of a tough concept to grasp. So maybe you're a little confused right now. And hopefully this visual will help. My daughter helps manage a nursery. So she gave me this tree that I can use. And, and it's kind of amazing, isn't it? To think that this thing started out like this even smaller than that. 
Amazing to think that this one day could be a life-giving, fruit-bearing plant, fruit-bearing tree. And see, when you really think about it, your salvation is a gift from God. When you came to faith in Jesus or when you will come to faith in Jesus, you get this. And he gives you something with great potential. He gives you a gift that can become incredibly strong with deep roots, but like this plant that will eventually turn into one day something like this. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen on day one. It might not happen on day 50. Maybe even be a couple of years down the road, but then all of a sudden one day you look out into your yard and you see this tree and boom, you see fruit. Boom, boom, boom. You don't know exactly how it's happened, but at some point, almost seemingly dead little plant becomes this fruit-bearing tree. So see, again, when you come to Jesus, he gives you an opportunity. He gives you salvation. He gives you his spirit to live inside of you. He gives you something that has the potential to produce incredible character, peace and love and joy and kindness. But just like this plant, it's got to be nurtured. I mean, could you imagine if I take this and I just go stick it up in my attic? I don't forget about it, don't do anything with it, and then I come back to it, you know, a few weeks later and I expect it to be this. I'd be disappointed, wouldn't I? But a lot of people, a lot of Christians, a lot of Christ followers, sometimes we live out our gift from God kind of with that idea. So we ignore the process, the nurturing, this idea that includes prayer and and, and scriptures, and reading the scriptures, serving, being generous, hanging out with people in community, the, the people that are following Christ, and, and being vulnerable with other people. See, we ignore the process that God has established that will produce fruit in our lives. And again, I think sometimes maybe we just got a misunderstanding of what this is all about. But we need to abide in Christ. That's our job, to stay connected to him. And when we do that, he cultivates and he works. And maybe not on day 100, day 200, day 400, but at some point, all of a sudden, you look at your life and boom, 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 there's free fruit there. So see, God's, God's provided a miracle. It's amazing. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was leaving the scene that same night that we talked about, he told his followers, he said, you guys are going to do greater things than I have ever done. That would almost sound blasphemous if it wasn't the words of Jesus. But he knew that he was going to send his spirit to reside in people and to work and to produce this fruit. Our job, their jobs, were to abide and to remain in Jesus. But see, I think some people, they give up because they think there's, there's no way that I could ever get to that point. I don't see that in me. We got to be careful about this with students. I think sometimes people come and, and, and maybe it's from the church or the church family or, or a family member. And people start to say, hey, you know, you've been a Christian for a while, and, and I don't think there's fruit in your life that should be there. You're a little behind schedule, and, and, and maybe the people start to believe that, and they start thinking, yeah, you're right, I could, I could never get there, could never get there. And, you know, Jesus has some, some serious words for people that maybe are a little further along the journey with Christ, and he says, you know, it's not your place to judge. It's not your place to condemn other people. It might be your place to mentor and to challenge and to help and not to condemn. But I would encourage you, if you're one of these people that think, man, I can't get there. I'll never be like them. Never compare your beginning of your journey to someone else's middle. That's not what it's about. A few weeks ago, I was sitting over in the connect room. It was a weekday, and I was meeting with a couple. 
And uh, basically, they were there, and we were there, and we were just talking about how we live out our faith in the marketplace, in our jobs, and, and what it means to hang with Jesus. And during our talk, you know, I, I'm throwing in some Bible verses and telling some stories from the Bible. And, and at one point, this guy, this guy says, you know, I want to be able to do that. And I said, do what? And he says, I want to be able to talk about the Bible the way you do. And you know what I said? I said, well, that's funny because I've got an older brother named Tom, and he's the pastor of our church, and he says that to me almost every day as well. <laughs> I didn't say that. That wouldn't be very humble, right? No. As a matter of fact, what I said, I, I said, you know, basically, I cheat. He's like, what do you mean? I said, look, look, I've got the advantage, and, and you know, and, I, and there's certain passages that I'm familiar with that I memorize, and, and I just pull those out, and I use them when I'm talking with you. But I did say, I said that, but I, I also said, but, you know, I have been reading. I've been studying, I've memorized some passages, I'm familiar with the Bible, read through it, you know, just, just tons of times. But it's taken me 40 years to get there. And I said, you can't just go from here to here overnight. Just yesterday, I watched a memorial service for Lois Evans. And uh, she's the mother of Patricia Shire, if you, you guys know her. If not, she's the wife of a, of a, a famous pastor named um, Tony Evans. And their son, Jonathan, was eulogizing the mother. She had suffered from cancer, and there was a lot of grief. And, and, but there was just tremendous joy in the midst of this grief as he's, as he's talking about his mother. And he said this. He says, you know, there are times when, I, when I'm just in life and I, I don't know what to do. And he's a pastor, and you could tell he was a great speaker. And he says, but there's gray areas of life, you know, where the geese have knocked out the engines. And he says, I, I don't know what to do. And oftentimes I think, what would mom and what would dad do? See, it is important. It's important to be around Christians who are further down the road, who have been in the community of faith longer, who, are, who, are, who have been seasoned by small groups and years of prayer and reading. They've been in the flight simulators of faith. And you think, wow, I'm not sure I can ever get there. But again, what Jesus would say is there's a process. There's a process to get you from here to here. And keep at it. Abide in me. Remain in me. And guess what? As you do that, as you do the things that we talk about, not about trying harder, not about doing more, but the habits that will keep you connected to Jesus, when you do that, then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Fruit will be in your life. I think there's sometimes people, though, they come to church and, and, and maybe there's a lack of authenticity and you're out in the foyer and you're saying, how's things going? And and people just kind of give you this idea of, oh, things are great with me. God is good, and, and my life is perfect, and the kids are rosy, and, you know, my wife and I get along, and I'm getting job, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they say all this stuff. And it just doesn't really seem authentic. And you might even know a little bit different about them. And here's what I'd say to that. You know, first of all, not our place to judge again. But, you know, God is interested in producing real fruit in us. And here we need to be honest, we need to be open, authentic. God knows us, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and he wants to produce authentic fruit. So don't let that, don't let that keep you from finishing the race and continuing the course. And then finally, I think some people have walked away from the faith because the geese have knocked out their engines in life. We can put a picture up of this, this orange grove. Beautiful picture. But maybe in your life right now, kids are struggling. They've gone down a path that you would have never dreamed. Maybe in your marriage, the, the D word has popped up. Maybe you've even gone through a divorce. Maybe you've gotten fired from your job. 
You've been foolish with your money and your finances have fallen apart. Maybe you worry constantly and you were just frozen by panic, by anxiety, by depression. You were in, in a spot that you wouldn't have dreamed you would have been in. Maybe, maybe you've done something that you would have never thought you would have done. Maybe you're in bondage to a sin that, that nobody else knows about. This is not the way that you thought it would go. Your life has not looked like that picture. But you know the good news? It was never supposed to be about a picture. See, our walk with Christ is a growing and real relationship. And I want to tell you this. Sometimes there are winter seasons. You've had fruit produced in your life, and then all of a sudden it just seems like the, the tree is dry. You don't know what's going on. But I think the encouragement that Jesus would say, again, like he did in John 15, remain in me. Remain in me. I'm working. I'm cultivating. Your job is to stay connected to me because spring is on the way. And I'm sorry here if you're here today and you've heard this a bunch of times. But this is my story, and, 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 and there are new people each week, so if you've heard this a bunch of times, tough. Bear with me. I'm speaking, okay? So, but in the summer of 2013, had a total nervous breakdown. Massive worry, anxiety. I could not control my mind. I was put out of commission. I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't read. The only prayer that I could pray was help me. I was in a spot that I never thought I would be in. I was in the winter of life. The geese had knocked out my engines. And fortunately, I had good friends, great friends, a great church family, a great, a great family, and, and I remained in Christ. And I know that God did not cause my breakdown. See, there were areas of my life that needed to be resurrected, that needed to be made new. And while I'm still a work in progress, God did amazing things through that time period and still has. As a matter of fact, I would say that that area of my life has produced more fruit in my life for my family, for the church, for myself than I could have ever imagined. Never want to go through that experience again. It was horrible. It was, it was hard. But I'm thankful for it. Only God, only God takes your greatest weakness and turns it into your greatest strength. This is what happens to fake fruit, by the way. It falls off, right? <laughs> but you know, it's natural for our God. I mean, when you think of the cross, he sends his son the most horrific act ever imaginable. The rescuer comes down, the creator comes down, and he is killed by the ones that he came to save. But God flipped that totally upside down in the most cruel, unjust, worst possible outcome became the redemption of mankind, the greatest victory in the history of the world. That's what he does. That's our God, and that's good news. And he's amazing. And see, this system, this idea that he came, this abiding in Christ, following Jesus, remaining in him, it makes sense. It deals with reality. We're broken. You're broken. I'm broken. Try as you might. You might make a little headway, but you, 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 you can't live up to the standards. And Jesus is the rescuer. He's the true hero. And he offers salvation and he takes up residence. And he says, I'm going to make you new. Let's get this process started. He says, you're to be a good branch. That's your job. Hang with me. Stay connected to me and I'll do my part. And you will bear fruit. I will make you new. And that's awesome. But it doesn't even stop there. I told you I listened to that, 
to that eulogy from Jonathan Edwards Evans and he and he spoke at his mother's funeral and, and again he was grateful for all that they had done but he said this and he asked this question among the people and it really turned into a church service and just powerful I'd encourage you to go watch it but he says he asked this question he says how do you know that you're serving God ask that to the people in the audience he says how do you know that you're serving God and again speaking of his mother he says you know you're serving God when somebody is impacted so this idea of the, the fruit that's in our life, it's good for us. Produces fruit in me, produces fruit in you, but also part of our fruit is the impact we have on other people. Five or six years ago, I was meeting with a guy uh, up here at church, and, and again, the geese had knocked out his engines. And he had made some choices, done some stupid stuff, uh, and his family was broken, and he wasn't sure if his marriage was gonna make it. But he came, he confessed, he repented, and then he got serious about hanging out with Jesus, about following Christ, about remaining in him. And soon afterwards, he was baptized. And again, here's a plug. We have baptism services regularly. And, and he didn't get himself cleaned up first before he got baptized. Came just as he was. Because as a matter of fact, when we were baptized, basically what we were declaring is, I can't clean myself up. I need a savior. I need a rescuer. But he knew that that was part of the process to humble himself. And he was baptized. And I know that he, he attends, he reads scriptures, he prays, he's involved in authentic community, he serves, he lives out his faith at work. And he's by no means perfect, but over these last four or five years, he has been abiding and remaining in Christ. And guess what? I've watched it firsthand. Boom, boom, boom. The fruit is appearing in his life. And he recently sat down just a couple weeks ago with Josh and some other people over at the city church. And he was kind of leading them in a devotional. And, and he says, you know what? I've got a group of people that I pray for, like, like 10 people that I pray for every day that are on a list. And he says, every week, I don't fail to invite them to church. Right? Because he's abiding in Christ, his mind's right. And he was super pumped on this morning because he'd gotten eight, eight texts saying that eight different people were going to come to that service that morning. Only one or two ended up showing up. But he keeps praying. And he keeps asking. And I guess what I'm saying, if we abide in Christ, all of us, think if we all had a list of eight or ten people that we are praying for, and we don't just stop there, we ask and we invite. And he said he did that because he loves these people and he wants them to know the Jesus that has changed his life and made him new. So see, God wants to produce fruit in you, but then he also wants to, to produce fruit in other people through you and the fruit that you have will impact them and then maybe most importantly when we abide in Christ when we bear fruit it brings honor and glory to our Heavenly Father John 15 8 says this this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples see God is faithful you are not gonna get from here to here in day one there's a process there's a church. There are practices that we, that we get into that help us stay connected to the one who cultivates and works the soil and the roots so that we can become fruit bearers for our benefit, for the benefit of those around us, and most importantly, we bring honor and glory to the one that loves us most and gave up his son for us, Jesus Christ. And that is good news. And I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, just we're amazed, uh, amazed that it, it, it what you have set up it what you have initiated the plan from the very beginning is that it is all about Jesus matter of fact Jesus when asking questions about what is eternal life he says I am eternal life 
being in relationship with him. So Father, help us all to be good branches. Help us to stay connected to the vine. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to look to people who are further along the line. Father, help us in situations that are gray, that are rough, that, that, that where we don't know the answers. Father, we thank you in advance for the fruit that you've produced in us where we just become the kind of people that react with kindness and compassion and goodness and gentleness and, and peace and joy. Only you, God. You turn the the toughest things in our lives into our greatest victories and our greatest opportunities to impact other people. You deserve all the glory and honor because you are the king of the universe and the lover of our souls. And we give you all the praise and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand up and sing.